You are listening to CKUT 90.3, the Tuesday morning show right here in Montreal. 90.3 on the FM dial or CKUT.ca online. It is a fine October morning. November. It's November. That's right. <laughs> we have a new interview coming up later today for another installment of In the Weeds with host Veronica Ivanova. Stay tuned at around 8 o'clock for that. And in the meantime, you are getting a nice playlist that is meant to complement the interview coming up. More details on that soon. You're listening to CKUT 90.3.
دلم جوابه کرده تو اتاقم دارم از تنهای آتیش میگیرم عشق خوفه توی این زمان بکرده چی بخونم جوانیم رفت صدام رفت دیگه گل یخ توی دلم جوابه
снега, отведай мой зверь печали. Напиток богини Эсте, псом пограничного леса, Вороной в саду господском, оленем на горном склоне. Ты станешь мой зверь печали, подушкой снов перед боем. Ветвями яблони дикой, ветром над островами. Ты станешь мой зверь поэтов, а я поплыву на север. Мне путь назначен далекий, во имя богини Эсте.
You are listening to CKUD 90.3 FM. Today, we're interviewing artist Roberta Snarkis, who is representing Lithuania at the 59th Venice Biennial. For gut feeling, Narcus divided the Lithuanian pavilion into two parts. The first part of the site-specific installation is dedicated to the production of a, quote, mysterious product from seaweed harvested from local waters, end quote, while the second part is for the distribution of said mysterious product. The installation was made in collaboration with a fermentation specialist, small businesses, and local residents of the Costello District of Venice. With gut feeling, Narcus has created what he calls a social sculpture in one of the last remaining non-gentrified piazzas in Venice. The installation is part laboratory, part factory, and part retail shop, aspiring to bring together individuals and diverse social groups who have conflicting interests and aspirations, with the project itself creating the conditions or opportunities for this encounter. Robertus, welcome. Hey, hello. Hi, thanks so much for coming to talk to us on CKUT today. So assuming that our listeners have not had the pleasure of viewing your installation in person, could we start with a description of the Lithuanian Pavilion at the Venice Biennial and how you approach the use of the space and what visitors can expect to encounter when they come and uh, see your work there? Yeah, let's let's try to 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 imagine or visualize it uh, virtually. Uh, pavilion, I, I guess uh, it's important to say that it's a kind of area, Castello area, which is really uh, close to rather area where regular Venetians live, or so-called working class neighborhoods, if you want. Uh, that is also going through certain uh, gentrification uh, and uh, a lot of art spaces uh, popping 
up their huge out costs as well uh first a glass museum or not museum a hotel uh with some more floors uh so it's a, a area with a certain old and, uh, and 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 different powers at play and uh, lithuania historically always uh, is looking for you always when you work on a pavilion you always uh, need to find a space and it's always been kind of site specific uh, or or uh, situations and once I went to scout for this play, for the place, and I was uh, drawn. I mean, I went to through this neighborhood, and uh, and encountered the street, uh, which was, uh, yeah, very very simple, very simple lives being lived, and not some not something different from that what we think of Venice Biennales or something. Um, grand and and big and and i yeah so the pavilion is uh, spread in across two shops that were closed for 30 years one in front of each other so they're really kind of low ceiling uh, spaces low kind of they you would not first think of of it so the pavilion then is kind of both it's kind of spreads in or spills into the street and uh, and i wanted to, to have a certain feeling of a uh, yeah village and uh, and that this kind of entrance to certain to not only to exhibition as a space where you see art objects but also somehow to be very present on the ground floor so it has this you can see the installation from the windows, people, regular people that are not uh, usually the visitors of the Biennale can come and they, or they have immediately certain uh, connection. So once you enter the shop, there was a kind of, well, yeah, washing place and the other was a uh, a bakery for the 50 years that was closed for 50 years uh, so yeah as you mentioned in your description it's uh it's uh one there's a two kind of conflicting aesthetically given spaces and uh, one is uh rather space filled with the uh, very aesthetically um, intense uh, objects, uh, uh, characters, uh, I call them characters that are kind of made from, from the applications templates that are, are helping us to organize our time and make decisions and uh, and and then the other space is uh, more of a space for where the kind of production is supposed to happen so the whole installation looks like a, some sort of 
hyper production side or a little bit uh, real and surreal. So this uh, you you see the the cans, you see the thing that you see in the factory that is driving around. You see certain elements of uh, of uh, industrial heritage. You see the seaweeds. You see the also kind of photographical uh, collages uh, that I made, uh, kind of creating the atmosphere and uh, yeah. So it's uh, these the artworks in a sense uh, they're uh, drive driving the 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 the, the whole thing. Yeah, I'm also as you're describing it, this metaphor is coming to mind about how the Venice Biennial itself is a sort of circuit and factory for the production of you know, the art exhibition and the art event. And it's, um, it's an interesting way to approach being invited to this, uh, this exhibition opportunity is to go through the same motions of production and the creation of something and to put that on display. Um, uh, so Venice is essentially the birthplace of the current economical uh, systems and the, the way how we think of the world. And yeah, are, you, are you referring to banking? Banking, uh, casino or everything or even this thinking of, I would say that, uh, yeah, the pavilion is also about us willing to solve problems uh, by creating products. And uh, and I guess Venice is also has in its past a lot of that heritage from commerce and uh, shipping, and uh, yeah. So that's the cause of many different uh, problems and solutions uh, of our life today. Yeah. yeah. Well, as I was thinking of. Uh, questions I wanted to ask you today, I realized that the very first time that I went to the Contemporary Art Center in Vilnius, I, um, it was your exhibition that I saw there, the very first time I went there in 2017. And it really surprised me with the caliber of its creativity and the way that you were using new media at the time, but also the questions that you were able to pose about globalization with that technology. And yeah, it also, I was reminded of that exhibition because I think that that would have been the first time that you um, transformed an exhibition space into a sort of factory, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's been um, my thing, I would say, the, the production sites and, and uh, the ways we, we, the, what we understand uh, progress and uh, the way we understand what is better and what do we want. Essentially, it's uh, it's uh, exactly rather the our will to change or is what kind of matters to me. Uh, where does it 
come from and what does it mean to become better so although i'm i would say that probably i'm very optimistic in regards of uh, technology or at least in, in my thinking from the past 10 years uh, i would say but at the same time i'm always interested in this knowing that whenever you engage in a artwork or in, a, in anything that has to do with the technology you will have this also feeling of uh, obsolescence obsolescence this this feeling that sometimes i'm really uh, interested to capture when things are uh, very quickly consumed and certain new languages are being created but at the same time you are very hyped about you know um i don't know augmented reality and or 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 anything that comes new and and this uh, pursuit for newness uh, is also sometimes uh, yeah i think that it's interesting to to look at more carefully yeah um i am working on a doctoral dissertation right now that also has an exhibition component to it that uh, critiques acceleration and these sort of um, one-dimensional notions of progress which is where i think your interest as an artist and my own interest as a researcher overlap um, it, but I approach them from the perspective of education, whereas you approach them from the perspective of what seems like like pop culture and uh, visual culture. And I've been thinking lately about what, why I have this fascination and this criticism of uh, our notions of progress today and how I think that they fall short of what they promise oftentimes. And I can't help but think back to my childhood uh, growing up in Lithuania in the 90s and having experienced the reinvention of labor and the introduction of globalization at such a quick, uh, I would say like lightning speed. It was almost an oppressive speed. And I feel like I'm, I, I'm not sure what age you are, but I think you would have grown up in Lithuania in the 90s too. That would have been a formative time of your life. So um yeah, I wonder, do you think that, I don't know if this is a tangent of a question, but do you think that those years find their way into your practice in terms of the things that you're interested in? And Definitely. Uh, thanks for this question, which I think is, uh, yeah, sometimes uh, never had to talk about it, although I was thinking recently and not recently quite a lot. I think uh, exactly this we i'm kind of i think i'm defined by by this uh uh being born or lived formative years around that break time as a teenager and uh, having to see this uh you know unbelievable uh fast and rapid development and certain inequality in this like when you're yeah you're uh 
yeah, my, 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 my family, I would say, probably were not so well adapting to the new realities in terms of like, yeah, capturing the spirit of possibilities in the, in the business and privatization. And so there was a lot of opportunities that some people were uh, really striving to catch or, or use about. And there was something dark as well uh, uh, around it. And I would have, you know, friends that you that, you know, we were still kids and living in the same blockhouse and, and, and certain, and, and these things that they would have, and I would envy as a kid, probably, and they would matter. But later on, I, and uh, I think, I think, uh, I think this, this sense, uh, and then, this, the sense was always uh, there in, 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 in uh, this is where I saw, I guess, uh, the, the, what can the certain desires do? And at the same time, I understood the certain uh, emptiness behind and yet, uh, and, and, And I always thought that, you know, in terms of like we, sp we speak about acceleration in certain way, I was always thinking that artists or like how can we take uh, be in charge of these mechanisms? And uh, I I never wanted to be certain like kind of poor artist, you know, dependent on the situations. Uh, as a student, uh, and I was always thinking of certain possibility for compromise, which uh, and I was I think uh, as a as a kid, I was also watching. You know, everyone was watching the Santa Barbara series, <laughs> and uh, and uh, I was thinking into becoming uh, a lawyer. You know, when everyone was you know, dreaming of something, probably had a lot more exciting things. But for me, lawyer was also something. It's in Lithuanian. The word lawyer is like has to do with truth. Uh, so it's like truth seeker. Somehow, I don't know if you can. You cannot. It's Tysonikas. But uh, so I thought it is someone who is like searching for the truth for certain. And then I believe that the truth is somewhere in the middle which uh, I doubt today, uh, but, uh, but uh, yes, I forgot what I was saying. But <laughs> It sounds like you're saying you made this transition between aspiring to be a lawyer to finding that same, uh, the same way to search for the truth through the arts. Like, I think I always knew that I'm, I'm, I'm going to be an artist, but I didn't know what the artist mean you know what does it mean to be an artist and i think it's also one of the questions that i'm always uh, kind of uh, trying to understand and up until today and uh, and the and the pavilion itself it starts from this question you know what happens when the the artist comes with the very good intentions and what you know and uh, and is there uh, you know, possibility to find certain answers through certain ways. Yeah. 
Well, as you were saying that, I was reminded that in my, uh, let's say my 20s, um, I felt like I, the trajectory of what the artwork could be has changed so much and it became a pedagogical tool, a tool for educating in a way that feels very new. Um, I wanted to come back to this question. Maybe now's a good time to ask you. You described your pavilion as a social sculpture. Could you tell us a little bit more about what you mean by that term, by social sculpture? Well, I think mm, it's a problematic uh, 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 term, I guess. Uh, yeah, I think it's a term from Joseph Boyce now. Uh, but it's uh, you need somehow to to describe it and also would say i would always live thinking of it as a kind of living drama series uh, that that are lived through and uh, the social sculpture in the sense that i think it has uh, it to do with the with people, people in the medium, <laughs> very on a very uh, on a very basic level, it's the, the idea of, of the pavilion was built around the certain hope to be able to to uh, okay, if not mobilize. And a certain moment, I I also changed my my thinking and uh, of uh, the kind of. Uh, activist approach where you kind of come and uh, to the uh, to the society and give them certain answers so in 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 that way the pavilion is kind of rather a dissection of 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 certain processes or like a thing that you zoom into the society i think it was uh one of the inspirations or like things of I was thinking and looking a lot was this uh, uh, children book uh, from, oh my God, I forgot about it. Uh, what people do the whole day. Uh, yeah, so what people do the whole day. And I think uh, so in, in, in that way, I always saw that book as a sort of uh, beautiful uh world of uh, inhabitants doing things and it's a there's certain beauty in just doing things so yeah that's a so for the social sculpture it's a, you needed a i needed a, a word for that and i think it's, it's kind of uh close close to be what mm -hmm. yeah well speaking of the everyday and what we do all day. Um, the last time that we saw each other in Vilnius, I came by your studio at Atarkia, the project space that you founded. Um, so Atarkia and then the restaurant attached to it, Delta Mitba, is that right? Yeah. Uh, those, that space, um, I think of them as one space, maybe I'm wrong in thinking of it that way, but I think of them as one space. And that space feels like a precursor a little bit to gut feeling because it seem, you seem to parallel in a performative way what you do at Atarkia and uh, at Delta Midba a little bit. So 
yeah how would you describe how how does atarkia fit into your artist practice or does it am, am i being presumptuous and thinking that it's a, a creative endeavor for you to be there uh yeah autarkia is a uh, autarkia we call it artist daycare center uh and next to it is a artist-run restaurant and they're yeah a very big part of uh, who <laughs> uh am i and uh, and how and i cannot imagine that today myself without those this space so we're like kind of very much connected um autarkia and the restaurant in the it, they are kind of parallel uh, to 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 the what's happening in in venice um in a sense uh, delta metiba the restaurant is a real kind of economical endeavor and uh, and a real restaurant that uh, has to function like a restaurant and it was also built from a certain idea to uh, to really take in charge you know of uh, of like how things are made and if we're talking about economy we need to understand how things are functioning and so we founded this restaurant and for, i would always see it as some sort of uh, lab to uh, understand the economical processes and to understand the psychology behind and to understand uh, what exactly does it mean to work and to, to do things and if we can build different models to the you know being artists and being creative and if we can you know somehow position ourselves differently and uh, it's five years and this restaurant is still on it's uh it's a yeah kind of a landmark in in in, in vilnius it has its ups and downs and it's a very it's a very complicated structure uh, but uh, yeah a few places you know live that long so there's certain certain symbolic and uh, and uh, yeah energies there different energies that kind of drives people it's uh, it's uh, well i don't know where whether i wanted to direct this but in the sense that it's kind of also connected to the very physicalities of the project uh, to my thinking we're dealing with the fermentation or we started from the whole project started from thinking the way how do we make our decisions this is uh, something i've been working with on the motives behind and i got obsessed with this opening okay the factory the gut feeling uh, I mean, also the factory is a kind of weird word. It's not exactly the factory what I was thinking, but but some sort of production site uh, that would uh, produce uh, uh, something fermented, uh, fermented seaweed product that would change somehow our you know thinking. And I was trying to get rid of this idea, you know, on the development stage. Like I really. Kind of like it's some much fermentation something is uh yeah and then then i realized that uh, you know the idea was that 
yeah, we'll, fermentation, we will be working with certain family of bacteria. And then in our restaurant, we have a fermentation practice and we have certain kimchi, uh, which I eat also today a lot in Seoul. But uh, so this uh, got to me thinking that maybe these bacteria uh, that I'm eating are actually uh, guiding my decision and they wanting to spread in the world. And if I would yeah, launch this production, it would in, inhabit a lot of different stomachs and this kind of idea of expansionism on the microbiological level uh, seemed to be more and more kind of relevant. So I consulted the, a friend genetical engineer asking like, is, is it this a possibility, this hypothesis that these bacteria are actually driving this decision to, 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 to do that? And then, yeah, then this uh, deep, digging deeper, uh, it appears that, yeah, our decisions are, you know, a lot informed by what we eat, what we consume, and, and we become that. So in that way, one thing leads to the other. That's like how I've been developing my 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 work or just living through it one thing after the other is it is there a certain you know logic to it or it's just a random events or it's a kind of you know yeah so there is a certainly a connection to 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 the outpost sometimes we would even think of it as a outpost in, in, in Venice, uh, especially having in mind that uh, it is now a space that we're gonna aim to keep uh, for uh, some future. Uh, so there's a, once we close the pavilion, it is going to, to extend. Um, I cannot say yet about That's the program, exciting. what's going to happen. So, and it will be sort of a, a site, a satellite site for Autarkia and their activities? Yes, uh, let's say we can, maybe it's not necessary to connect it directly to Autarkia, but it's, you know, as a, as a certain, yeah, outpost, yeah. but uh, yeah, franchise yeah. <laughs> in, in, in these, uh, in other terms. Mm -hmm. uh, as you were talking about probiotics and kimchi, I was realizing that I'm not sure is that um, our notion like you you're having this holistic approach to progress where your sense of well-being is connected to progress and decision making and that they're all intertwined and it all comes back to the day to day and what you eat and that. Yeah, that the future is somehow bound with today as well in that way. Um, yeah, it sounds like a really fascinating project. I, as, as we've discussed, your project and your artist practice is very immersive and architectural, which is, I think, pretty unique to your practice is that you have this way of immersing people into an environment that you create for them. Um, but when I think of your practice, it's also very funny. And I'm thinking of your prospect revenge. Uh, project. So 
I guess my question is when did you turn or start turning to humor in your work and what does it offer you? Has your practice always had a little bit of humor in it? I think, uh, yeah, humor, I never think of it, but it just happens, you know, it's always a tragedy uh, that I'm thinking more than humor, but, uh, but uh, in a certain perspective, things start to look uh, funny, or so I, I think humor uh, offers a, a, a certain insights that otherwise are not possible it kind of makes you you know well naked or transparent it kind of take this this arms you and uh, and humor is something that you know puts uh, things on the ground you know we're all connected by that and it's uh, universally accessible and i think so like in in that way why it always kind of mattered to me that's what's uh you cannot i never seek that you know in uh, but it just happens that things well that we live in an absurd world or or you know, i mean maybe it's not absurd at all maybe it's just the way it's the way things are uh, but once you have these conflicting energies, uh, conflicting ideas, uh, you tend to uh, end up in a situation that are funny, that are unpredictable, that are surprising. So, yeah, humor is also, I think, uh, something, it's a very, well, I don't care like being political, but it is, uh, it's always... Uh, a political situation mm -hmm. and, and and you know when we think of art yeah humorous artworks are are not serious you know but uh, but i would say that uh, uh, i use again sometimes i use i like to say the word use it as a tool you know as a one of ways to 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 um, trans yeah manipulate if you want mm -hmm. uh yeah sometimes so it's like a effect and, and and tell you something yeah it's interesting to hear you say that humor is political because i'm i'm thinking about how you have to understand the joke in order to be in on the joke and to enjoy the joke and laugh at it and so it really reveals what you know to be true and your beliefs and um <laughs> you know what you're willing to laugh at reveals a lot about your values i guess yeah that's true uh, that's true but uh, yeah that's true that some you never know you know you don't know if people are getting it the right way and and i think uh, it's quite often the case that i have to do an interview to to <laughs> to really explain what i'm thinking exactly and who am i uh, because quite often i'm also taking the certain role or personality or character that is not necessarily um likable or or in tune with the uh, realities you know sometimes i i i yeah I tend to to 
to take, uh, I don't know, uh, role of certain investor or someone that uh, has certain powers or or man manipulates uh, different, you know, structures and energies. And, and although I'm interested in these, uh, you know, ways the things are happening, and I think I kind of, but I'm also something else, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think this brings me to my last question really well. I also I'm very curious and would love to know because very few people have this experience of representing a nation in a biennial what is that ex what was that experience like for you what's it like to um work on a exhibition at that scale with that scale of visibility and the underlining question that i think is there is are there any confinements and restrictions that come with working on a project like that but really, what was it like for you? What was your experience of it? Well, <laughs> it's an enigmatic uh, experience uh, for sure. I it's something uh, I don't know if I can say striving. I was a student in the first year, twenty years ago or fifteen years ago. I didn't know what it was Venice Biennale was. It was I, but I perfectly remember like being this kind of clown of a class, and when some teachers like said, uh, "Yeah, Venice Biennale, maybe someday," and I said, "I'm gonna do it." <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I never thought about it up until uh, yeah, five years ago. Actually, that kind of starts to happen. Uh, it's a it's a, a project that is you know it just stands there when you live with it for 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 yeah for the, as long from yeah every morning every day every night every it's kind of goes through you and uh, it's all it's overwhelming i mean i all i knew friends that you know got the gray hairs and 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 we know that's kind of process that uh, drives a lot of people crazy and teams are, and there's a lot of intrigues and blah 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 but it was this wasn't the case we I had a I had like you know two sides of it I mean in internally working on it I I have to say yeah I, I suffered a lot as a kind of as a as a being under certain pressures expectations and uh, and as an artist, you are overseeing every single detail and everyone in a team. And it's your deal with a huge team. And there's a lot of psychology. And, and, and I always wanted it to be a pavilion that was built in a kind of light way. No crazy hours. No. So everything was happening more or less uh, uh, good but the, uh, but it's also uh, yeah it was the first time that I ever felt burnout I never believed in in in, in, in this burnout thing <laughs> as always the person that kind of uh, you know yeah we can do 17 projects simultaneously and and the more you do, the more you get 
done and 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 then the monday morning when the pavilion was finally open nothing stopped you know i didn't have any you know uh, breath to take you had to do in the morning some more talking some more, more uh, meeting people and i didn't care to meet anyone anymore i was like uh, yeah it's done and so it took me a month to realize that i'm like uh, like a desert and uh, i'm fine today you know i'm fine today i'm in some residency but but i think in like kind of through you know yeah in the summer i was really like a broken person so it's it takes its toll so it's a very i it's a very challenging thing to do i don't know yeah so i recommend <laughs> i recommend to try it it's uh, it's an interesting experience it's a learning process it's uh, it's 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 fantastic it's uh, it enables you to do a lot of things and and uh, and through projects like venice biennale you can actually reach bigger audiences people uh, yeah it's yeah a i mean things stage. that are obvious but but uh, as for an artist you're always uh, you know you always want that uh, you always think of the next project and uh, and uh, yeah you don't want like any artwork you know to be defining <laughs> you but then it's been like, something that you you, you kind of yeah you want to uh, include everything yeah yeah it's a lot of like you said it's a lot of pressure because it's such a it, it's such a big audience or you know it seems that it would be so but it's also you know you worked on this beautiful project for so long and in a in an ideal world that would be the time that you would get to then enjoy it and you would get to sort of savor your accomplishment and what you are able to then share with others and then they you know like in an ideal world the day that you open the show would be when it starts to feel really good not when you come undone because you're so because you gave it your all yeah i mean it was all that included i mean it's uh, so much joy it's 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 all but uh, just i wanted to you know to say to share that uh, this behind the scenes that's uh, there is a, a lot of um, maybe it's obvious but behind the scenes that it's it's also something that requires a lot of uh, strength yeah <laughs> like any big event i think there's a lot of perseverance yeah. in pulling it off yeah um well do you want to while we still have you share anything that you have coming up that you'd want to you know draw people's attention to do you have you said that you're in seoul right now uh doing a residency yeah i'm happy to be uh, in seoul uh going through some things and, 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 and working on new projects. Uh, uh, I, I wanted to thank you for, for, for inviting me here to share the, the thoughts. I wanted to yeah, thank the team that I've been working also on the project, David Zilber, uh, the, yeah, David Zilber, Neringa, Bumbliana, and, and the, the others. Uh, yeah, 
that's probably uh, that's probably it uh, okay. it's yeah take care of yeah thank you so much for coming on Open the door. Seek new world. In here. Security. 90.3 FM from Montreal. This next selection consists of just trumpets. I am playing up to 14 trumpets in certain spots in this composition. It is designed to lift you up, to take you to beautiful worlds of inspiration. Please close your eyes and let the romance and power of these trumpets take you to a world of love, comfort, beauty, peace. Let yourself go into the inspiration of the powerful trumpets and find yourself in a realm of love and light. This composition is called A Touch of Light.
many places of light where faces laugh in the sun's glow. Take me aboard your shimmering ship built of eternal time and icicle dreams. Fly to that hidden city nestling in yesterday, across the smoky mountain and along the flowing river. The land lies as a maiden left in repose. Tread softly, walk on silent notes. She will ask you nothing and tell you all. And you, without thinking, will lose your
1890.3. You're listening to the Tuesday morning show. That's every Tuesday, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Right here in Montreal or cktt.ca online. If you want to find the setlist for today, head over to cktt.ca and find the Tuesday morning show page. It'll all be there. You can even see what's playing right now. We will see you next week. Thanks again to Veronica from the uh, host of In the Weeds for that wonderful interview. And we will see you all next week. Bye. I mean, you know, what's going on? What do you say? Buenas tardes. And uh, we'll be back. Missed your favorite show? Not a problem. Go to www.ckut.ca and follow the link to CKUT's easy-to-use archives. Instructions are on the page. Two months' worth of archives are stored in mono and half a month's worth in stereo. Pleasant good afternoon to you, Montreal. If you're having trouble, please email sys at ckut.ca. That's S-Y-S at C-K-U-T dot C-A. Oh, yeah! I want to be a motivator.